0: As rural hospitals continue to struggle, facing unprecedented industry-wide challenges in addition to the rural-specific challenges they've been managing for decades, effective change management is more crucial than ever. So, how do rural hospitals develop and execute a change management strategy to support their teams through tumultuous times?
1: With a thoughtful plan, careful messaging, and a grounded perspective.
0: I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm JJ Hodshire.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to episode 123 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer.
1: So, Rachel, our guest today is someone who is an expert in supporting rural hospitals through intense periods of change, growth, and challenges. That's
0: right. We're talking with someone who specializes in helping with messaging, planning, strategy, and execution in this area, which feels more relevant now than it maybe ever has.
1: Oh my goodness, do we ever need you today more than ever before in our history? We're gonna talk about that uh, here on Rural Health Rising today, but I'm excited uh, today to introduce our guest, Letitia Fetcher, Vice President, Public and Community Health Systems Practice Lead with Gerard Inc. Welcome to Rural Health Rising today, Letitia.
0: Hi there, thanks for inviting me. I really look forward to our conversation. So to start, Letitia, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Girard?
2: Of course, we'd be happy to. Uh, I'm Letitia Fescher. Uh, like you mentioned, I uh, work at Girard, but I'm the practice lead for a very specific uh, health systems practice here that is focused on publicly owned hospitals and community and rural health systems. So I'm laser focused in those areas, and frankly, um, it's it's my passion been doing it for nine years here at Girard. And previous to working at Girard, I actually uh, was in your shoes, Rachel. I was the communications and marketing leader at both for-profit hospitals and non-for-profit hospitals. Um, The non-for-profit health system I worked for was in uh, East Tennessee, uh, a rural health system as well. Um, And just to give you a little bit of background on Girard, uh, Girard is a strategic communications consulting firm All we do is work with leaders of healthcare provider organizations all across the country. Mm -hmm. Our clients span from the national hospital systems and the academic medical systems to the regional and community hospitals as well. So we're working with uh, leaders of those hospitals during, like you were mentioning earlier, really high stakes moments in time. Uh, We say it like that these are times of major challenge Change and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm currently in Nashville, Tennessee, but I actually grew up in Mid Michigan. Oh, really? Uh, actually, uh, I hope I don't cause too much of a divide here, JJ. But I'm a Michigan State alum. Oh,
1: I am so sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was great having you on the program today, and we will <laughs> definitely right, talk so to I'm you like, later. Oh, great.
2: I'll talk to you later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. So you grew up in the Lansing area.
2: No, I grew up in Bay City.
1: Bay uh, City? Summer, Get yeah. out of here. Mm-hmm. That My predecessor yeah. uh, grew up, raised, born, and worked in Bay City before coming here to Hillsdale. Small world, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Awesome. So, Letitia, I have a, a question. Um, you know, in, in your discussion about the work that you do, you had shared that you're working with community hospitals uh, and community owned hospitals just a question for you you know you can't you know turn on the television open any type of uh, article from beckers and not see that uh, these are the hospitals that are being targeted right now we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes but um community owned hospitals uh is 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 that a rare number today
2: the publicly owned hospitals yes. um it is it's uh there's, I, I can't at the, off the top of my head tell you how many, but I have worked with numerous publicly owned hospitals over the past few years who are actually selling um, to other organizations. They're looking to be acquired and the, the public and the community, um, they have realized, uh, even most notably over the past few years, that they cannot be in the business of running a healthcare organization yeah. from the community perspective, right? Yeah. The county commissioners, the city council—they have a lot of other things on their plate. Yeah, and running a healthcare and and hospital in a community in a rural healthcare setting, which most of these publicly owned hospitals are. Right. Um. It's just not their. It's not in their bandwidth to be able to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I look forward to having some discussion here later in the podcast about uh, the tumultuous times that Rachel indicated in the opening about what's happening with closures around the country, uh, and then really talk about the impact of that and what your business does. But before we get to all of that fun stuff, um, I want to ask you a question. And we do this on every podcast so we get to know our guest just a little bit better. And understand that uh, individuals across the country are listening to this podcast who do not know you. Uh, And I can already tell in the five minutes I've had a chance to meet you that you're full of life, Uh, you're energetic, you seem very fun. Um, And I just want our listeners to gauge a little bit about you as a person. And the way that we do that is we ask one simple question, it's called the why. Um, So, Letitia, I want to know what is your why? What motivates you as a person, and as obviously a healthcare leader, what what gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the great work that you do each and every day?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we all need to be grounded in this question, right? I mean, this is personally and professionally, um, it's it's the same, you know, nowadays. And if you're not happy professionally, and if you're not um, doing the work that you love to do every day and supporting the people that you love, um, you know, what's, you know, what's, there? there isn't any, a bigger motivator. True. And so our mission at Girard is to make healthcare better. Um, and that's honestly what motivates me. That's what I wake up to do every single day. It's grounded in that mission to make healthcare better. And it's especially true working with rural healthcare providers. I find working with these types of organizations, highly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, because these organizations, as you all know, oftentimes are the largest employers. They're the economic engine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They're the trusted voice. We saw that over COVID. Sure um, they are the, the institutions and the organizations and the people that our community go to for answers. These are the bedrocks of the communities for, for generations. Um, and so access you know to that high quality local healthcare is of the utmost importance to the people I work with every single day. And I take protecting that very seriously. Um, Healthcare is a super noisy industry, um, especially for rural healthcare providers. The headwinds are significant. Um, And the work that I do with my clients every day are oftentimes, you know, once in a career type of things, um, which is why, you know, I'm able to work with these organizations because I've seen you know, and heard and experienced a lot of these things across the country that I can provide that, that support when they need it in that moment in time.
1: Excellent. What, what an incredible why and something so important, the work that you're doing each and every day to really get the messaging and the communication uh, out to the community. Uh, in many ways, you are like standing right there in the balance, Uh, between hospitals' ability to stay open and close. And a lot of it comes to the messaging uh, and the type of services and the urgency right now, what we're finding, the call of urgency uh, across this country for rural health to sustain into the future. Um, I, I think you have probably one of the most difficult jobs that I can just imagine, given the environment that we're in. So we appreciate your why and thank you for sharing it today.
0: So let's get into the concept of change management a little bit because this is really what you guys do goes beyond just strategic communications. It's really the foundation of change management is communications. Now, of course, as a communications professional, I'm a little biased. I'm like, (laughs) communications (laughs) is the root of all everything. Um, (laughs) But when we talk about change management, how do you define that? And then while, you know, again, being a communications person, asking when do you need a strategy around communications? Well, you always need a strategy, but you sometimes do. you need a more planned out strategy. Communications is an art and a science. Sometimes it's a little more art. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little more science. There are the things that you can kind of do as you go along because you're a professional and you know what you're doing. But then there are also the other things where you really have to sit down, hammer out a strategy and be thoughtful because of the complexity of what you're dealing with, um, which is probably more in line with change management. So, how do you define that? In what circumstances is that more detailed, thought out strategy becoming necessary? And how big does that change need to be before it becomes that level of an issue?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of great questions there. And I'll first, you know, start off by saying that communications to me is not only about communicating at right; it's about engagement. Right. we're we're the most effective communicators when we're actually engaging with people. Um, So to answer your last question first, change is big when it impacts you, right? And so Mm -hmm. it could be small to JJ, but it could be big to you because it impacts you in a different way, right? Yeah. So there is no change that is too big or too small. It's all about finding the right balance of cadence of communications, the right message, Mm -hmm. the right person to deliver that message, the right mode, whether Mm -hmm. it be email or some sort of uh, higher level of engagement. So to me, change management is all about moving an organization, a health system, a group of people, um, uh, most importantly, your people through a specific or transformational time, Mm -hmm. And we know for change to happen quickly and smoothly, employees, physicians, your community, your patients, the families of those patients need to understand the context for that change. And I think what's most important is that we are not only communicating about the change, but we're connecting it back to our vision, our strategy, what we're really doing to make sure that we are providing access to the community in the long term. Um, And that's really a pivot that I've seen most recently in the past couple of years is making sure that we're not only communicating about a specific change, but also talking about where the organization is headed and how we are pivoting our our model or how we're doing things to be able to provide care to the communities where they are today. It is very different than it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. We're expecting different access points, different ways to... um, to see a provider or to um, go to our facilities or not go to our f- facilities if we're talking about telehealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really laying that foundation for an organizational change through that vision, through that strategy. And then, when we're actually talking about change, whether it be good or bad, because sometimes change is, is good, we just have to put it in the right context. True. It's not only about taking away. It's also about just changing how we're delivering care and communicating that in the right way to help our stakeholders, both internally and externally, understand the why, our why. You know, back to your first question, JJ, why mm-hmm. we're doing this, mm-hmm. and how they can participate in that journey through engagement or or other or other things.
1: You know, uh, well spoken, and I, what really resonated with me in your. Uh, response to this question was linking this up with vision and strategy. And I've often said the old proverb, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we firmly believe that here, that we have to cast a vision. But it's even equally important that everyone in the organization understand what the vision and the strategy is of the organization, so we're all going towards the same uh, goal. So um, uh, the fact that it ties back, very important, you know, here at Hillsdale Hospital, Uh, What we do is we have a communication loop, we have a cascade of information. Uh, We want every employee to be able to articulate the why uh, of the organization financially, uh, organizationally and the list goes on. So to hear you uh, say those things really just warms my heart that uh, the work that we're doing here is not in vain, uh, that our strategy actually is for that cascade. So let's talk a little bit more um, as, as we reflect upon change management. You know, when rural hospitals specifically, because I can talk about that, uh, experience significant change, um, it just doesn't impact the organization itself internally. It has far greater implications. In many cases, it impacts outside relationships with partners, community leaders, and even our patients. So understanding the complexity of when we make a change in rural health, you know, number one, I can make the change right now. And by one i I'm getting text messages from community leaders and uh, family and friends of the hospital who have my cell phone, which we post in the hallway, who are texting me about that change. So, um, you know, change, I have to look at it. And I think I want you to talk about this. It's not just internally, but it's how we communicate that externally. So how does that fit into the discussion of change management?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that we should assume anything that we communicate internally will get out externally without a doubt. Right. So it can impact patients. It can impact the community. It can impact those community partners and others. But, you know, first we always need to get our message right internally. Um, There's no better brand ambassadors than our employees and our providers. Healthcare is a people business, right? People connect with people, not a building, not a hospital, not a clinic, we first need to communicate and get that message right with our internal audiences in order for that external message to even be successful. Mm-hmm. So just to start there. And then for to specifically you know address the external communications, we need to ask the same types of questions if this was just internal uh, an internal message. What is changing and what is not changing? Um, how will this impact access to care? Do people need to do anything different? What are we doing as an organization to find that solution for our communities and our patients and our partners so they're not having to figure it out on their own? What are we doing internally to get that process right? You know, whether that's, you know, someone from communications pushing on an operational lead to say, yeah, I understand you're making this change, but how will we actually provide a solution to our, patient, to our patients that we can communicate to them today? We might not have all the answers We might not have that process in place, but where can we start? So it doesn't seem or perceive to be that we're just making changes for ourselves. Um, How are we doing it? Because we're here to serve that community. So to make sure that we have our processes in place and we're communicating that in a way that's simple, taking the complex and, and really communicating what it is that our people need to hear for them to have confidence in us that Maybe we don't have all the answers, but we'll we'll come back to them with that and we're thinking it through. But then also gauging how that's happening out in the community, talking to our community leaders, our community members, our patients. How are we going to define success at the end of the day? It's that they feel comfortable and they're still accessing our services that they need to be healthy and to mm-hmm. be well. So, you know, it's not just about communicating again that change. It's about listening about engaging with the community. It's about asking about how it's going from their perspective so we can pivot, so we can make changes to the message in the moment um, and and be nimble enough to do that.
1: Excellent.
0: So how do you think about and plan the communications campaign around creating or advancing change? Obviously, there's an internal component, there's an external component. How do you kind of sit down and and put that all together um, in a way that can be executed?
2: Yeah, I think your, your question is an important one, right, that we need to plan for these types of things in advance, even if we don't have all the answers or we don't have everything in place yet. We need to start planning for it ahead of time. And so I want to share actually five ground rules that I always think about um, when we are thinking about um, any kind of change management initiative. And, and I could tick through these pretty quickly. First is to listen. You have to listen to understand where the organization and the community is to establish that baseline for how they uh, may perceive this change. Um, The second is to simplify the complex. I mentioned this, you know, when we were talking about the external messaging. Has as healthcare administrators and, and communicators, we have the burden of just knowing too much, of knowing everything, of getting getting too much in the weeds and the detail and and being stuck in that messy middle. Not everyone needs to know everything. We need to really think about our audience and simplify that message in order to make the change impactful and human for them. Like I mentioned earlier, we need to tie all the change that we're doing to our vision grounded in our mission, focus back on our strategies and our, our strategic pillars or priorities uh, to make sure that we are connecting any kind of change with what we see as, as what we need to do as an organization to make sure that we have local access to care for the long term. So just to recap real quick, the first, the first three, mm-hmm. listen, making sure that we're simplifying the complex, tying everything back to our vision. And then the next two are really critically important around what we're doing internally. We need to align and empower our leaders to be able to communicate and engage. That means training, providing them with resources, providing them with the messaging, and not just assuming that our leaders know how to effectively communicate, especially if it's a tough change, if it's something that will be hard to deliver. We need to make sure we're providing our leaders with those resources. Oftentimes when I'm thinking about like our clinical leaders, our nurse managers, they were promoted to a nurse manager because they're awesome nurses. They're excellent at providing <laughs> clinical care. Very
1: true. But we
2: don't, they're not necessarily great communicators, mm-hmm. nor did we ever expect them to be communicating a tough message to their nursing staff. We need to take ownership of that and provide them with the, the training and the resources uh, for them to be able to effectively align with what we're doing as an organization and feel like they're empowered to, to communicate. And then the just the last thing to think about when you're coming up with a strategy for a change. Uh, initiative, and that is to commit to it, commit to the long haul. That doesn't mean communicating everything at once. It doesn't mean to only communicate at the end when decisions are made. That means communicating all along the journey, even if we don't have all the answers yet. We need to really continue that cascade of consistent messaging. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we don't, if there's a dearth of information, people will fill it. People will fill it with rumors
0: or, or
2: or whatever they're thinking, worst case scenario. It's our job as administrators and communicators to make sure that we're communicating, even if there isn't something really specific to share.
1: Yeah, the uh, the long haul is often a perspective that I will admit as a CEO, I lose sight of when communicating things. Um, you know, it's really just uh, at times reactionary. You know, we fire somebody, uh, maybe it's a leader, in the organization or a um, physician who's been here for a while. And instead of tying the messaging back to the why, it's just please be advised that so and so was dismissed today. Uh, and it leaves a lot of questions. Um, it is a fine balance, so I think you would agree between those You've types got some of legal obligations with in le- those scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Sure. And and even, you know, other things like, you know, divesting a program. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Because, you know, Letitia, we had to make some tough choices. As you know, uh, health care in America is at a breaking point. There's no better way to describe it, especially for rural. You know, it has been reported and it, the statistics prove that Uh, You know, that hospitals are struggling right now when you look at the numbers of profitability. And uh, since 2010, we know that over 140 hospitals, all rural, most rural, uh, have closed across America. We know that over 500 are put on the watch list for those that are at risk of closing in in the future. Over 100 of those are at immediate risk. I mean, there's all these numbers are coming in and they're staggering. Generally, they are not changing too much. You hear in the fives and the sixes. um, So it's tumultuous times. That's that's for sure. So the the question, you know, is when you have to divest a program, um, how is the best way to communicate that to your community? Um, generally, the ones who are in the balance. Um, so I want to ask you some a question here. You know, we recently had some significant change. Uh, we consolidated two clinics into one location. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily a welcome change for everyone. Because obviously, in the community that we were no longer going to be part of, they were a little upset. Um, Now we were going to be in a community probably 15 miles away. Yeah, 15 miles away. It's just, unfortunately, we have to look at scale, we have to look at operations and cost. Uh, as part of why we make business decisions. Uh, and in that particular situation, we had had significant financial losses uh, due to the payer mix being Medicaid primarily or no payment at all. So we just have to look at the operations. What are the efficiencies there? Um, so, you know, can we give you a rundown of how we handled it, which I'd like for, you, for Rachel to talk a little bit about, um, and then maybe as a case study for this discussion, um, grade us. Rachel. Rachel, why don't you, <laughs> yeah. Rachel, why don't you just take yeah, us through? Yeah, let, let's do Rachel. it. Let's, okay. Let's do
0: so, it. Um, so we made this decision and we knew that it was going to be, you know, frustrating for members of the community who live there and that clinic is close to them, right? Um, so we started with a uh, essentially primarily myself, JJ, and then our director of outpatient clinics sitting down together and saying, okay, what steps do we need to take to get from we just made the decision to the clinic has now been merged and the community has moved on and we're all, you know, full speed ahead with everything else. Um, so we put together a pretty detailed plan. We set up a weekly meeting for the three of us to kind of check in on on all the, the pieces of the plan. Um, but we started with when we announced it, we started with a press release for us. A press release also means a post on our website and on our social media. And we do have a pretty connected social media with our community because of the Facebook Lives we started doing during COVID that really built up our social media following. We have pretty good engagement. And that's one of the primary ways that people get information from us. Um, And then we also shared that on our weekly radio segment that JJ and I do. That's 10 minutes every Friday on the local radio station, which, believe it or not, is still the primary way that people in our community do. do get their information um, so we shared we shared it in those multiple locations. Um, we made adjustments on our website so that the different areas mentioning the Litchfield Clinic say, you know, we'll merge with Reading Health Clinic as of July 31st um, so that it was still up because it was, of course, still in operation for a period of time, um, but that people knew it's not staying open, you know, permanently. Um, so there was some expectation there without like, you can't even find the phone number anymore mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so, so that was kind of the the plan as far as what we did. Um, we did also communicate that to our employees first, um, initially to the staff, of course, of that clinic, um, and then to all of our employees and our kind of our community provider list, our mm-hmm. board of trustees, kind of the our internal stakeholder groups. We communicated that to them in our organizational update um, that we do once a month, and so that went out to employees first then the public shortly after, almost at the same time, but shortly after, um, and the media at the same time as the public, just because we send a press release and then I immediately post it to our website and social like 30 seconds later. Um, And then I guess when we talk about the messaging, to me, what we talked about at the beginning that was important was helping people understand that a little bit of the why behind it. We did mention in our press release that that clinic was at capacity. And even so, financially, it didn't make sense to continue operating it as a standalone location. So we took our staff and our resources and moved them into another clinic that was not operating at capacity. So that the access in terms of capacity was not actually diminished, the location changed essentially, Um, which is not necessarily a consolation when the location goes from being five minutes from your house to 20, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was part of the messaging. And then we also listed out options for folks in that community to continue receiving care from us. So we said, you can still see Rachel, who's, who was the nurse practitioner at that clinic. You can still see her now at the reading clinic. We have multiple providers accepting new patients at our other clinic in town or in the county. Um, we have virtual visits. And then also, kind of to what you were saying before, we don't necessarily know yet all the details. We're still in the process of working on this. But we did mention in our press release we were exploring the option of a mobile clinic that would allow us to go into Litchfield and other communities within our county that are in kind of those outlying areas. Um, let's see,
1: did I miss anything, JJ? Well, I think internally, you know, I've been commu- I communicated it for one year with my board of trustees, uh, and so internally, I've had the dialogue with senior leadership about a year and a half ago about the performance. We monitored it over time, over time, over time. Communication with the provider saying we've got to get these numbers up, we got to have a better performa, we got to look better, talking to the staff, and then communicating that to the board of trustees six months ago, saying it looks like I'm going to have to divest it, and then constant communication with our senior leadership team internally to talk about options, if there's any, can we save it? If so, what does that look like? We tried one, which was to bring a new service. It failed miserably. So throughout the process, we were trying to prop it up to see could it Could it actually function and do well? Um, Prior to that, you know, I did keep the city uh, leadership informed uh, about the fact that we're going to have to make this tough decision. Mm -hmm. And here are some services that are going to be available if if your community members can't travel. The good news in that respective community, they had two other providers. So I wasn't just a sole provider, which, you know, is a little better, you know, in messaging and saying, well, you have other choices. But this was, you know, the fact that Hillsdale would be, consolidating with one of, uh, with Litchfield would be consolidating with reading.
0: Right. And also for the patients themselves at that clinic, we did send them an email, a text, and a letter in the mail. We put signage up in the clinic, and then anytime they came into the clinic, the staff were talking to them about the change. We did provide some talking points to the staff and our nurse practitioner out there so that they felt more comfortable with how do I talk to patients about this, knowing that they're probably dealing with the most confrontational type of potential conversations happening um, around this issue. So we gave them some talking points, basically out of the press release, but turned them into bullet points that would be easier for them to, you know, use to answer questions and and things like that. So I think that's what we did. Yeah. So how'd we do?
2: (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you did great, quite honestly. You know, I'm really thinking about, all the, the things that you were, you were talking about that you did well, you know, talking about the other options, the mobile clinics, the, um, you know, tried to prop up the services for some amount of time. You did the engagement with city leadership ahead of time, um, y- sending out the communications to patients through email, through text, through signage, you know, all the various
0: modes that they could get there. Um, do you believe that it didn't go well? I think it I feel, did go I well. Very well. I was actually, so I was expecting a lot more backlash on our social media. Mm-hmm. And what we actually saw was a number of people who were excited about the change because mm-hmm. the provider who was in Litchfield is beloved in this community. Her yes. name is Rachel. She's yeah. amazing. It's not me, but her name is great. Um, she's wonderful and everybody loves her, like truly all of her patients. People follow, have have followed her um, in the various different areas in the county that she's worked over the years Um, So we knew that this was kind of if you were going to move a provider to a new clinic and you want to maintain as many of those patients as possible, this was kind of best case scenario because of the type of provider she is and the relationship she has with her patients. But then people who were down in reading where the where she's now located in this other clinic were so excited that she was going to be in reading now because they everybody loves her. Her reputation precedes her. So we actually saw more of that um, in kind of the social and public chatter Mm -hmm. than we did frustration about the closure of Litchfield. The other thing that I think was interesting was, and maybe this was a good measure of our success, um, last week there was an article in the paper that's local to that community and an adjacent community. The adjacent community, um, this, this is the community where we had to close our clinic and then the adjacent community... The adjacent community went through a clinic closure from a different healthcare system. About how long ago was that? A year ago. Year ago. About a year ago. That situation was uh, my perception and understanding is that for the community that was more like a cut and run because one day the clinic was there, and then within a week or two it was gone, and very little communication from that organization. Mm-hmm. Then also the other thing that happened was shortly after we made our announcement. One of the other providers in town, because, you know, we mentioned there were two other providers in that community, so it's not like we were leaving a place when we're the sole provider. People were hearing rumors that they were temporarily closing their clinic, and to the point that the provider, keep in mind that clinic is owned by a health system, the provider himself had to post on Facebook to tell people what was going on, that it's temporary, that it's due to staffing, and hopefully they'll be back. So then there Compared was an article that, yeah, yeah there was an article in the local weekly paper in that area um that basically the the city manager said you know we heard from Hillsdale hospital they provided other options we never heard anything from system x um and so we didn't know what was going on with them we still don't really know what's going on with them all we know is what we saw on facebook so that i think for us definitely was a um a good thing you know not great to have any additional coverage of a difficult situation that you had to deal with, right? Um, But the way it was covered really showed that we were thoughtful and strategic and that we did it with the community in mind, which I think was the most important thing for us to Mm -hmm. get across, was that we're not abandoning you, but we've got to find another way to provide you care that doesn't involve the standalone clinic.
2: Yeah. I mean, a couple of things that I think you did really well in contrasting it with the other situation is that you did provide the people who are at the actual messengers with the message right you provided mm-hmm. the clinic the clinic staff with talking points you provided them with the options that they could communicate to their patients you also communicated the options to those patients i think you know one thing that just you not and not necessarily a communication strategy but an operational one that you were able to to retain that provider yes
0: yeah
1: it's incredible. Is, is yeah. significant. And yes. I think that's um, why we
0: felt comfortable calling it a merger of two clinics because we took, we literally took the resources and the staff of the Litchfield Clinic and moved them into the reading clinic along with what was already in reading. So it, while it's closed in the sense that that service doesn't exist in that location anymore, the access in terms of resources did not go away. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and that's that's significant operational, you know, thing that is is good. You know what we're seeing with other closures um, across the country is they're closing or temporarily pausing services because they don't have a provider. Yes, which is a tougher message, right? Um, that you can not only can you no longer see the provider you've been seeing, which is really important in community hospitals. I think that that's lost in in other areas of the country, they're like, well, you can just go see the PA. It doesn't matter who your doctor is. It matters to the people in rural healthcare mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where right. you're going to see when they've That's made right. a connection with that That's provider right. over the years. So for that to change um, is, a, is, is a tougher message yeah. to communicate, but it is happening. Um, and in those situations, we're really leaning heavily on the message that, you know, while we're continuing to look for other solutions we do have to temporarily close this location but we are looking for other solutions we don't again don't have the answers today but through unique partnerships with other mm-hmm. uh, with other clinics or hospitals that are perhaps not in you know directly in this community we're working with them to see if we can get a provider one day a week in this clinic mm-hmm. really coming up with unique ways to provide access to care because that's what we have to do now as rural healthcare providers is to find options that may not be the way that we were delivering care, you mm-hmm. know, forever ago, five days a week with a primary care doctor in a clinic, and a standalone clinic, it's just not financially sound anymore. Yeah. But what mm-hmm. options can we provide to our patients to uh, continue to at least provide that access closer to home? Mm-hmm.
1: So, Letitia, as individuals across the country listen to this and maybe they're considering some very crucial conversations and some uh, unfortunate uh, news that they have to release to the public about divestments. Um, what would you say is the greatest pitfall of poor change management? And in your opinion, what you know, as we talk about giving some real life advice, um what is the biggest mistake an organization can make in this process? So tell them right now as they're listening, what warn them before they make these these terrible mistakes.
2: Yeah. And I think we've touched on a couple of these things. One is the biggest mistake an organization can make is waiting until all the decisions are made or they have all the details before communicating anything. Yeah. You can't communicate that a clinic is closing a week before it happens or a day before it happens. Right. You need to be communicating that and providing those solutions and making sure that our patients and our community are are aware and are finding other ways to get, continue to get their, their care. Um, before you know, we we drop the drop drop the ball. Mm-hmm. Successful change management is bringing is really about bringing people along with you on that journey. It's not just telling them how it is after all the decisions are made. Um, it's getting input. It's listening. It's engaging, um, and and making sure that our people are hearing about this in a variety of ways. And we're not, it's just not a, a one and done approach. So at the, at the end of the day, the three things you know, really that you want to happen with a successful change management campaign is to make people aware, create awareness, you know, with those individuals and create that sense of ownership within our own teams and our leaders in order to effectively make that change happen. Um, And that we're all singing from the same songbook, as Mm -hmm. we like to say, Mm -hmm. um, and that we're consistent with our approach, our vision um, and what we're doing.
1: You know, I I had Several other questions queued up, and I'd love to have you back on Rural Health Rising to talk about what we're experiencing in the marketplace right now with mergers, acquisitions, and closures. I'd really like to focus on that. So would you, would you be willing to come back and talk with us about those specific things and communication tools around those?
2: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's critically important to get those types okay. of communications, well, right?
1: Um, let's get you, to. let's get you back on the uh, podcast for that. I know our listeners would love to hear about it as that's becoming more and more frequent right. now and communities are grappling and struggling with how to process that information mm-hmm. and how to accept either no providers or a new provider in their communities. And I want to talk a little bit more and vet that out if we could. So, uh, Leticia, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Um, Unfortunately, believe it or not, nearly an hour here, our time has escaped us. Wow. And we truly have enjoyed this time together. And your information about what you do in your company will be posted. Uh, And those of you listening today, if you're in need of some assistance of communicating difficult messages or just communicating messages, it doesn't have to be difficult, uh, communicating good messages, get some mileage out of it, uh, reach out to Letitia in her group. They would love without a doubt uh, to have you reach out to them and have some consult and conversations about how best and effectively to communicate uh, the change that's occurring in your community. So, Letitia, once again, we want to thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: And before we close... We love to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And you said earlier that you're from Michigan. And Michigan has a lot of rural communities. And I'm not sure, I believe, are you in Tennessee now or where are you currently?
2: Yes, I'm outside Nashville, Tennessee.
1: All right. So it may be rural where you are, maybe not. We want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to a rural living?
2: Oh, I have so many uh, growing up in Michigan. (laughs) Um, So many. But, I mean, it's just, it comes down to the, the you know, just the place that you call home, right? Yeah. And just, it's it's always a special place in my heart. Um, we had a, a cabin up uh, on Blue Lake right outside of uh, Kalkaska and Grayling. Oh, yeah. And um, our family has had that cabin for a, a long time. My grandfather built it. Um, oh, wow. We just love skiing on the lake, you know, picking blueberries, you know, walking through the woods, mm-hmm. uh, making s'mores with my cousins by the fire, watching the lightning bugs, watching the 4th of July fireworks over the lake. Um, you just can't miss, you can't beat that, that type of experience um, and, and upbringing. And I, I want to trade it for the world. It was um, it's lovely. And I still like to go back from time to time. And, and we still have our cabin and uh, love to enjoy The summers in Michigan.
1: That is incredible. Love the summers. Well, thank you again for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. We look forward to having you back again very soon.
0: Thank you.
1: Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in.
0: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
1: And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.